Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone. Thank you for listening to Missing on the Crawl Space Media Network. If you like this show, you will love Crawl Space, which is also hosted by us. We launched Crawl Space in 2017, and we have a huge catalog of incredible and thought-provoking interviews. Check out our entire network of shows at crawlspace-media.com. On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time. For years, we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing persons. We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished. Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases. Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I am doing wonderful today, Tim. How are you? I'm doing great too, Lance. And in this episode, we speak to a lot of our friends. We speak to Bruce Maitland, Chloe Cantor, Greg Overacker, Lou Barry, and Kira, Brianna Maitland's old friend. 
This was recorded on March 17th. It was a Thursday night. We did it live, True Crime Thursday on Get Vocal, about Brianna Maitland's disappearance this evening, commemorated her 17-year anniversary, if you will, of her disappearance. Always a challenging time for the family and the friends of someone who is still missing, someone who doesn't have the answers, very, very limited amount of information. And that is such the case with Brianna Maitland and Bruce Maitland, who is generous enough to give us his time and and then provide us with some stories that he at one time said he would never tell but he felt like he owed it to the people who have been supporting him and Brianna and the nonprofit private investigations for the missing these people have been supporting him in his head for so long that he owed it to them even though no one he doesn't owe anybody anything but it was incredibly gracious of him to recall these stories of Brianna sledding and being told to not do something and she would do it anyway and her willfulness and her energy and just the spark that she provided when she walked in a room. And Bruce went right into those stories. And again, it was something that he had previously said he would never do. So really important to take the time to hear him and to to understand that this is somebody who has moved on to another level of acceptance and grief. And he's embracing the support and the community that all of you listeners and everyone that was at, in the Good Vocal Room are, are giving to him. It's literally giving him strength. And you said he jumps right in, and uh, you're not kidding. Uh, the first thing that we play after the music here is is Bruce. Uh, as soon as the night started, we sort of introduced him, and he just went into it. He must have been thinking about what to say and about what stories to, uh, to recall um, for, for a day or two uh, because that's what it seemed like. He just kind of uh, opened up. Uh, so yeah, we were all lucky to uh, to bear witness to that and uh, and hear these stories and and they're heartwarming, but it they also tell a lot about Brianna as a person. So it's also really interesting to hear these stories about Brianna. And we have, of course, uh, Greg Overacker who joined us, and a really touching moment there between the two of them recognizing the work that each other is doing for not only Brianna but other families. Um, seriously, this could have gone on until like midnight, and we would have been fine with it. Yeah, and we'll end up breaking this episode into two parts because we don't want to cut anything. I mean, we could cut it to 40 minutes or whatever, but we'd like to uh, play it all. So we're going to air it in two parts, and uh, we hope you listen to both and hope you really, uh, really enjoy it. All right, everybody, thanks a lot for listening. Follow us on social media at MissingCSM, and check out Private Investigations for the Missing at investigationsforthemissing.org. I would like to go into a couple of things that I've probably, you know, never shared a lot of it, but uh, I've always kind of avoided uh, uh, talking about Brianna. As uh, you three know, I said, that, you know, those memories are mine. <laughs> and uh, but I, I just want to kind of, I don't know, just in sort of a celebration of like who she was. Uh, there's just Brianna was such a free spirit uh, when uh, 
when the kids were sledding one day, we sledded down this, we were sledding down this long hill and at the bottom of this hill was a barbed wire fence. Not probably the smartest thing to do uh, in retrospect, but uh, you know, I would always sled down to the bottom of the hill so that, that I could catch them or particularly her, uh, you know, and this was when she was probably, I don't know, five years old. And, uh, you know, so we were kind of done and then she wanted to go again and, and we said no. And then she said, well, I guess I'm just going to go. And, uh, down she went, you know, so it was like a, a real panic moment, uh, not knowing whether she was going to stop by herself at the uh, end of the fence. But luckily, even at that age, she had some sense enough to uh, bail off. And then there was just, uh, you know, uh, if, if you guys remember the the picture of her in the kayak at some point, sometimes it shows up. Well, there was a time we were going kayaking and uh, her mom and I were in a canoe and Brianna was in the kayak. And there was a dam there that we came up on that had a large, a uh, couple of, an old dam and had cracks in it where the water was racing through. And uh, I suggested that we kind of get over to the edge of the river like we normally do and kind of look at it a little bit just before we could shoot down it. and. Uh, of course, Brianna did not wait for that, and uh, she just went down through that crack of the dam, knowing you know not what was on the other side. And of course, it ended up obviously being fine, but she had a real good laugh at uh, you know mom and dad being scared to do that, and uh, her having the nerve to kind of do that. So it was just, and that was kind of the way she was, was just really free spirited about her life. Uh, I remember she said, well, I, I got tired of a got tired of sleeping in a bed. I don't want to sleep in a bed anymore. So uh, we bought her. A, she wanted a hammock. So we bought her a hammock. So uh, she basically uh, took the bed out of the room and she slept in a hammock. Uh, and would just, you know, spend a lot of time reading and things in the bedroom. But, you know, just when she was outside, you just kind of never knew what she was getting into. Uh, one time in the middle of the winter, um, her and a friend, I forget which friend now, but they decided they wanted to camp out in the coldest weather they could just to see how rough it was. So I think it was probably, uh, it was at least 20 below zero that night. And, uh, you know, so they set out there and, the, you know, they went out in the tent and sleeping bags and, uh, and they made it. I went out to check on them. And I mean, they, they didn't camp like right next to the house too. Oh no, they had to go out in the woods you know, a quarter mile and camp out there somewhere where it's not easy to get back. So, I mean, it's just, uh, her, uh, her grandfather had an old Jeep, which right after he passed, uh, the Jeep kind of came to us. This was a 1975 CJ five. Well, she had to learn how to drive that. And, uh, it was, uh, I was really dubious about that. I mean, you know, no doors, no nothing on that Jeep, seat belts. But uh, yes, I let her take it out, you know, close to home, at least which I knew about anyhow. But she would go out and run that Jeep. And then, you know, on, on nice days, they would drive the Jeep or a car down. We lived at the end of a mile long driveway. So she would drive that and park it there. And then, you know, when school was over, bus would leave her off and she'd drive the Jeep back and stuff so it was just just kind of a she was just very 
very free spirit spirited in a just a just a just a wonderful endearing way and you know i probably let her get away with a lot of that free spiritedness uh because it was so endearing and you know up up until she disappeared you know it's just you know bad things weren't happening as a result of a lot of that kind of action but uh it uh it was just wonderful when she would come into a room, you know, she had to, she had a very much, which photos don't really capture, but she had a natural grace and poise when she would walk into a room and uh, just carried herself and people would look and be amazed. And, you know, when they talked to her because she was so well read, you know, it was just uh, very conversational and all that. And, uh, you know, I miss her dearly. You said that uh, she was so well read. Where did she get that? Was that something that she picked up on her own? Did she um, have a particular genre that she liked to uh, to read, or was it everything? Pretty much, she she was just well a real reader from the time she could read, from the kids' books to, uh, right on up through. And, and we would read books. Uh, both you know, her and my mom would read books. I remember. Uh, Oh, we read Heidi, and we read, uh, uh, oh, I can't think of the name of the, the book with a spider in it that talked. Charlotte's Web. Yeah, Charlotte's Web, and, and she, we would just read that sort of stuff. And then and then, she was kind of like me in the sense of my reading habits are where I find something that's of interest to me, and I'll read quite a bit on that and then move on to something else. So it was uh, just a real diverse amount of books. And at the time... I mean, we were living off grid. I mean, we made our own electric and power and that sort of thing. But uh, one thing we uh, we didn't have is a TV, and we had it. We had a TV, but we would just rent movies or something like that on a weekend night or week weekend night, and uh, you know, it was kind of like a plan watching thing. So during the week, the, there was no TV. So uh, and and that's something that. You know, I never felt that there was other things about living there isolated that she obviously did not like, you know, the, the availability of friends and things like that as she got a little older. But, uh, you know, the reading was not having a TV didn't bother her. We were a reading family and uh, except uh, Whalen. Whalen never read pretty much anything other, you know, other than whatever magazines he was kind of strumming through but uh she was very much uh very much like me in her reading when you were uh, talking about the sledding you said that you you kind of told her you know maybe don't do that and she said sort of like okay well i'm gonna do it anyway um what's your reaction to that what is it just like it's just too endearing to get mad at that point well i think in that particular instance it's like you know by the you're kind of panic stricken and running down the hill after like it would really do any good, but you would get there quicker if something was wrong. But, you know, by the time you get there, everything's safe and everybody's laughing and, you know, it's just, it's all okay. You know, you could, you could lecture her, but uh, I, I'm not sure it did any good. What about uh, sports? Um, we, I think we often hear that, that she was into jujitsu, but, um, recently heard that she did more than one martial art and, uh, w were there any other sports that she uh, participated in? Oh, uh, just jujitsu. 
And that was, uh, I think there's probably, she did probably at, at least a year of that, maybe more. And she was the only young girl in the jujitsu class. It was mostly these, you know, husky guys that were in great shape and, and, you know, it was kind of fun to watch her fight them because obviously they were, you know, letting her get away with stuff or at least letting her try the moves that they were teaching her to see whether it would work, you know, but, uh, but uh, she was, uh, you know, quite athletic in, in that sense of the, the jujitsu sense. Yeah. And how did she do against those, the boys or the, or the men she held her own? Not in a real sense, no. I mean, these guys were, you know, 200 pound guys in, in the fit in the prime of their lives. So, I mean, they would let her try the moves on and she could get a hold of them, right? She could, you know, maybe send them off their feet, but. And who, uh, who encouraged her to do that? Or was that her own? That was her own. There was a little studio, a guy opened up a studio, uh, in uh, Enosburg Falls, the town not too far away from us. And uh, she was kind of interested in it and said she wanted to do it. So, sure, I thought it'd be a good thing to have a some kind of a good self-defense training. I thought, oh, well, that's a great idea. Why don't we do it? And, you know, my son had boxed when he was a teenager. So it was like, well, you know, he boxed, so she should be able to do jujitsu if she wanted. And I got I to gotta say, it's uh, it's intimidating enough to be a, a male going into that environment, but being a, a young female and just walking in to that environment, you don't know what it is. Like, it's a super respectful environment when you're there, but the anticipation is so stressful. I... When when you first told us that she did that, I just was like, I, it it just takes so long to even take that first step to go through the door as as a as as a male as an adult male, let alone a fourteen or fifteen or sixteen year old female. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I don't think the pressure was that was that tough on her. I think it might have been tougher to go in as a male because you were going to have to seriously tumble around and compete with these guys, and, and they they all treat they were really sweet to her. All of them treated her really, really well and just made it an enjoyable experience for her. Just hearing memories of Brianna, I feel just, you know, indirectly charmed and graced by, you know, her presence and just her wonderful memory. So thank you so much for that. I was wondering, I know you guys had cattle and um, you said you were off the grid. You Were you on a farm? Did she enjoy that kind of farm lifestyle? Well, we were on a, at that time we were living in the woods off the grid and we were sort of a you know back to the lander homesteader type of a thing that i and i was you know i was uh, pretty seriously in the environmental movement and i was really really interested in uh, in the whole off-grid uh, sustainable lifestyle thing so we had uh, two milking goats and we had chickens and uh, turkeys and things like that in the small area that we had but that was pretty much woods after brianna went missing we moved out of the area after some time and that's when it was a regular farm. What an interesting, um, I, I don't want to say it's a revelation because we, we know that you lived in Vermont sort of off the grid, but a lot of people say off the grid and they don't literally mean off the grid. They just kind of mean that they live in a small town or they, you know, they, they live in a, uh, down a, um, a long driveway or something, but you wanted to be part of like a sustainable existence like a self-sustainable existence what got you interested in that as that stuff started to come out i was just always interested in alternative type energy 
and then I read more on it. And then a property that uh, was an acquaintance of mine happened to come up for sale uh, that uh, was uh, ideally suited. So I ended up buying it. And then uh, I put an addition on the place that was there and being able to like build the place around that concept of being off the grid requires that you do a lot of wiring changes and things like that. And uh, we had a, uh, we had solar panels for power and a battery bank and a, uh, a, what they call micro hydro, which is a little turbine that runs off of water in the Creek and that charges your batteries. And uh, uh, we had a, a huge wood cook stove that would heat the house and, you know, you, you could just heat and cook off of it. People think of that existence as some kind of a real Spartan existence, but it really wasn't. I mean, you have conventional power. Uh, you know, everything changes to 110. You have your lights, you have your shower, you have your hot water, you have a regular sink. I mean, the only thing we didn't have up there was we didn't have the TV. Uh, no access to cable and really not in a good area to get it from the air, so to speak. And uh, we had uh, probably one of the earlier cell phones in the area. You know, we had phone service and, you know, I actually had uh, eventually I ran a phone line up just so I could get Internet service. So I had that at the time. So, you know, it wasn't it was different, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like you were just living in a shack in the woods somewhere. Um, Breeze. Like a couple of them have described her as a hippie, and I don't know if that was just because of the lifestyle or if she kind of possessed her own ideology. And I was wondering what you thought about that. Yeah, I think that, that that's a that's a pretty good description of her. I mean, back to the landering kind of comes out of the hippie movement. Uh, you know, when the hippies went rural, they were back to the landers. Uh, so a little bit of that rubbed off on me and. Uh, you bet. And I mean, she was always decorating herself, you know, the type of a flowers in her hair or, or doing things like that. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. And now private investigator Greg Overacker pops on the screen. And I asked Bruce about his closest investigators, Greg Overacker and Lou Barry. And uh, Bruce, these these two fellows have been a part of your uh, your journey in investigating this case for a while now. I guess can you tell us uh, real quick? I mean, w- what they mean to you and and what their their work has meant. Well, it's kind of embarrassing to tell Greg what I feel about him when <laughs> I have to look up. at him right there. But uh, <laughs> Greg's just been absolutely wonderful. I mean, we we've been good friends, and he is just. Uh, Greg has done so much for me that he doesn't even realize a lot of times. I mean, it's uh, somebody I can safely bounce a lot of things off. Greg never lets go, has never turned his back on me, you know, and he, he's experienced a lot of the same frustrations that I have through through all these years, and uh, he's still there. And, you know, I, I I just think the world of Greg, I mean, he's, he's, Thanks, he's buddy. a brother to me. I was up early, early this morning, and I watched what you guys posted. I was going to comment on there, you know, had we had the money and that's how this whole thing between Bruce and I got started about PIs for the missing had Bruce had the money. I would have moved to Vermont. I would have been living in a holiday Inn up there. I would never left. Honest to God, I would have, and I'd do it now. I mean, where I live now, my family's all gone. This is what I do. Absolutely. I'd do it, Bruce. You know, I would. 
I love you and we're in this together, mm-hmm. you know. I'm in. Yeah, many, many yeah. years ago you said that. Yeah. It's all held true. I still go by that whole thing that if I was up there every morning and at 8 a.m. I was knocking on doors, which I'd be doing every day, you know, it would be a whole different ball game. And you and, and you talked about in that 20-minute segment about the way the kind of the police handle things. And, you know, and you said it too. We're not necessarily putting down the police. It's the way that functions. You know, that's it's it's the way the job functions. And I've worked with police before and gone and worked with them for a couple of days at a time. And it's a job. And they go in in the morning and they get their coffee and they have a meeting and then they go to an interview and the person doesn't show up for the interview and they drive back to the, you know, the barracks and, and it's lunchtime. And it's just it's whereas me, I'm out. I'm out for the day. It's like when we were bounty hunters, we would go out, we'd leave home, you know, you get in my car and drive south. You're not talking about driving south for 100 miles, you're driving south for, you know, a thousand miles. And I'm coming back with the package and that's it. There's, there's no two ways about it. I'm either finding you, I'm throwing you in jail, or I'm finding you dead and getting the death certificate or something. But it's going to result in a paycheck. And I think if that attitude was something that they had or that they, they, they can't, it's not built to function that way. You know what I mean? If it was built to function that way, whole different ball game. So that's unfortunate. Don't get me going. We had dinner the other night, and we were both just ranting and raving. The shit I if I if I lost my marbles publicly, it would be awful. <laughs> it would just be awful, man. I, I, I want to say we're in, we're in a Denny's, and I'm like, ah! I want to say it's always good to have somebody like Greg on your side, somebody who sends you a picture of this. <laughs> Brass knuckles. That's <laughs> my birthday present. Yeah, got him got him with, with a note that says, got myself a little something today. <laughs> <laughs> so anybody who, you're, you're in good hands when, when that's the type of person uh, who feels comfortable enough to, on one hand, send a text message with brass knuckles and on the other hand say i would have lived i'd be up there right now living there to help you 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 guys are like brothers it's incredible to see to see that happen i mean it's so frustrating it's so frustrating for him i mean it's frustrating for you guys it's frustrating for me i I don't i would not express it properly well the frustrating part is having to triage everything with limited time you just have to you know, oh, well, you know, we'll try to work on, you know, this particular person or this particular scenario. And it's it's really, really hard to do. And that's what, you know, that's why these people need help all over. It's, you know, part of the missions of private investigations is, you know, it's just people shouldn't be in the position that I'm in. We do criticize the police a lot yeah, of time. It's and it's the system and the way they've worked and the way they yeah, have to yeah. work, maybe. Somebody gets shot down the street, yeah. they've got to take care of that now. And yeah. that means that something else doesn't get done. You know, and like any organizations, you have people that are top notch and dedicated and, and will go all out. And, uh, you know, then, then you have ones that aren't. And it's just, it's, it's like any, any kind of a government type system. It just doesn't Think always about work having the way it's supposed to work. Your work backs up for years. Can you imagine that? Like someone comes to you and goes, oh, by the way, that was something left over from last week, but we have stuff from years ago. We're just going to keep piling on your desk. You're only one person. You can only do so much physical activity. Not only that, look at all the functions that a, 
the, the, the police carry out. I mean, it's everything from murder investigations to directing traffic. I mean, how much more can you pile on their plate? At the same time, frustration grows where, you know, we had a situation where someone had been interviewed. They were like, well, we're going to follow up on the interview. Okay, when? Oh, uh, well, in a couple months or a month or whatever. Why are you waiting a month? What's, you would think that as time, the passage of time went by, it would get more urgent, not less. And then when they wait that long, in one particular instance, I was beside myself with Bruce saying, this person's going to die. It's, you know, they're older, they're, they've got drug problems. This person's going to die. Sure enough, they die. You waited until it was just too late. And it's that, that's a huge aggravation. When we find that out, then you just want to slam the phone down and go bang your head on a wall because you can't get them. And then you're like, well, next time I'm not waiting for them because they're just going to put it off. I got to tell you, Eric, Frank, Eric Franklin's case, at some point, I'm just going to blow my stack. They've done nothing. Well, they don't do much. Of course, you know, I'm not in the inner loop either. Anyway. We have sort of the trifecta on right now. Chief Lou just joined us, and he um, definitely has his ominous uplighting, which is fantastic. So thank you for uh, bringing that to the table. But I love the fact that it comes from all all angles. Like, it comes from all sides with, with Greg and Bruce and, and Lou from the uh, law enforcement side. Um, we hear it all the time, Lou. We hear it all the time that, that once the, the departments have something more urgent coming up, I mean, they, they just said something. Bruce said someone gets shot down the street. That's a priority. That's a priority right now. And then that, that turns into, well, who shot this person and, and it, so on and so forth. How does this not continue to be the story over and over again, especially in small towns? And thank you for joining us. It is the story over and over again. But why? What's the? Is there any solution? Is there like another agency that can step in, or is there maybe an agency that hasn't been developed yet? You know, I think to give these cases the um, the time that they need, you'd have to have a unit dedicated just to just to working on these cases. And if that's done, it's usually done on a statewide basis. And now they're they're overwhelmed with the number of cold cases that they have. We just don't have the resources, or the police don't have the resources to to spend the time on these. And you know, I'm I'm seeing it now. Even now, I'm I don't do this full time, but I've got like five cases going, and I find myself saying, "Well, this one can wait a bit because I have to do this on this case." So even you know, just doing that limited number, you have you have to prioritize things, and things fall by the wayside. It almost seems like it's hard to devote your full attention to more than one case at a time. And there's no way you could afford to have one investigator do just one case exclusively. It just doesn't practical. It doesn't work that way. So is it more like public outreach? Um, I think Jason says here in the chat, public policy and advocacy. Is that something that is um, like an element that law enforcement will lean on in, in a, in a, in a serious way? Like, putting the call out to the public to help them? What I would like to see is legislation and after a certain period of time, be it five years, three years, five years, 10 years or whatever, a case that's going nowhere be shared, if you will, with the family. And if the family has the resources to hire a private investigator or, or an organization like Bruce's could step in and say, okay, we'll look at this case now and turn over the files and let them look at it. I mean, there are certain cases, obviously, that, that would be appropriate, but 
Otherwise, no one looks at it. We look at the Framlich case. If, if Greg hadn't found that case and resurrected it, no one would be looking at that case. They're not going to work that aggressively enough. You don't figure this shit out by sitting home or sitting in your office. You don't. For a, a law enforcement agency to dedicate an officer and say, okay, you're you're taking this case. You know, we're not working on anything else. If it's, yeah. a, if it's a cold case, it isn't going to happen. So right. if, if they can't do it, let the private sector do it. Brianna's case literally fills a room with files. Um, I mean, there must be 20 boxes, file, full big boxes of files. You know, so someone coming in and taking over that case now literally has to go through all those files just to find out what's been done in the past. That's got to be awful to walk into. That's got to, you know, how do you, how do you, you, I don't know, you know, how do, how do you take a, a cop and put him in that room and go, okay, and then pile other shit on their desk at the same time, most likely, or at least yeah. they get up to speed. And something's got to suffer, and you know what it is. It's the old case. It's, yeah, yeah. That's awful. So there's nobody that's really following that case from from day one on. It just it changes hands, and and sometimes you get a guy who does a great job, and some got nothing gets done in two three years. You know? Yeah. And real quick, I just want to say, um, you know, you mentioned private investigations for the missing, and what they're trying to do is provide the resources for families to look for their loved ones, and that does take money. It takes money to uh, pay someone like Greg to stay at that Holiday Inn for, um, you know, a week or 10 days at a time. So uh, if anybody uh, wants to donate, you can go to investigationsforthemissing.org, and there's a uh, Donate Here button. Um, every every little bit helps. You know, we've been trying to fundraise. This night wasn't supposed to turn into a fundraiser but every little bit helps and if anybody knows someone who can fundraise on a higher level that that's really one of the keys that has been missing in in uh the internal kind of struggle that that this organization has is that we know the problem we know the i guess the the means to the solution it's <laughs> we know where the money is it's just how do you access that and how do you write those letters to those people so if anybody knows someone um you know reach out to us separately you can find us on investigationsforthemissing.org just shoot an email over and we'll definitely uh, get back to you on that When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. 
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.